Just a couple of things <clears throat> by way of update. I like the masks are good because they cover up half my ugly face. So that's good. No. Uh, I've tried to leave West Virginia four times, and we're still here. I got my, actually, I've, I thought it was the third, but it ended up being the fourth rejection of, uh, of a job I was pursuing. That would have been great at every one of them. Um, I told Lee, either, my sister, I called her, I said, you know, third time, either third time's a charm or three strikes you're out. So uh, we'll see um, what God maybe has for us. So Lee said to me that day, she said, I'm at peace in West Virginia. So we're here for now anyway. Um, Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 13. Oh, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a joke-telling kind of speaker kind of guy, but I thought about a, a, re, a change to the Scriptures. Can you imagine that? That's a, that's a what do they call that? That's heresy? All Scriptures, I thought we'd add this in, though. All Scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, vaccinated, for every good work. So I think that's what we're doing now, right? Ha ha. Jokes are over. Um, John 13. So, you know, um, I had not written messages for for a year and a half or so. And God just kind of said to me about three months ago, start writing again. This since God's saying, start writing messages again. So I did. And this is like the first one. As I'm just reading through the Word, I was reading through the Gospels and Acts, and uh, just, uh, it's kind of cool the way God's Word just kind of develops a message in front of you as you're reading it. And uh, in fact, another one that I'm working on just hit me, uh, I don't know why I'm sharing this, maybe another time to speak sometime in the future. Actually, I'm speaking next Sunday in Buchanan, which is kind of cool. Um, Felix is wanting to hear Paul talk about Jesus. Recall that from Acts? Or, uh, yeah, Romans. Acts. Acts. Just testing you. I'm in Romans now, so I'm going like, um, And Felix loves to hear about Jesus from Paul. He's, he's either entertained by it or he's fascinated by it. He's interested because he understands, the Bible says he understands the way. I don't know why I'm telling this, just for next time. But these kind of passages that, that just kind of they flow into a message, it says Felix, Jesus, so Paul was talking to Felix about faith in Christ. The next verse says, but when he spoke of righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, stop, Paul, until a more convenient time. And it was never heard again. Two years later, he shipped off. Uh, Felix quits. He, he resigns and and I just thought to myself, what a message that is for us as the church to look at what was it about, you know, that talking about faith in Christ, we don't often think about righteousness. Self-control really hurts. And the judgment to come, and there's some great truths there, but that's for another time. John 13, sorry, I had to get another message in there. Would you join with me? So I'm reading along in John chapter 13. Here's one of these passages like, wow. Beginning in verse 1 of John 13, now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. While the good news from Jesus' perspective in that verse was that he would once again be in the physical presence of the Father, I have to believe he was also living with the very grim reality that was looming in the coming days. 
And I think we get a hint of that in the very next verse that says, During supper, in verse 2, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. You already get a a glimpse of what's coming, not just being united with the Father, but the reality of the that he is about to encounter in this process. And would you, I appreciate Bryce praying so much. Would you pray with me again as we just uh, dive into what this is about? Dear God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your word. God, it is a living word. It is sharp. God, I pray that you'd give us hearts to hear, ears to hear, God, minds that would contemplate what you're saying in these verses, God, that would not just be something we would have as an information piece, God, but a a life-transforming peace, God, a walking with you in this journey of life through hardships and pain and suffering reality, God, that we can live it out, that it would be not, God, it'd, it'd get to our hands and feet and make us different people because you, you change us. You tell us you'll change us. And God, would you begin more and more of that changing in our hearts today, we pray through your word in Jesus' name, amen. The grim reality we see of of ridicule and humiliation, abuse. I'm going to set this right here. Intense inner turmoil that Jesus was going to experience and ultimately a sense of abandonment by his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You and I have no capacity to comprehend that statement. A son who had lived in perfect obedience to his father, now having a sense of abandonment, abject loneliness for doing the will of the father. And while it is true that we cannot comprehend Jesus' experience on the cross, we can comprehend and often do experience, our first point is this, a dark place. And understand that this world is governed by principalities and powers, in darkness, in, in heavenly places. And it's, it's, it's a, a dark spiritual umbrella over this world. But I want to talk about these prince and pa- prin- uh, powers and principalities that, that are now working in our lives and wreaking havoc in our lives. Paul tells us that we are, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. This is very ominous sounding, but it's absolutely true reality against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. However, realize, as I'm sure you do, that these spiritual powers, they show themselves in everyday trials and struggles in our lives. And we often find ourselves fighting the pawns or the chess pieces and not the player. The player, the one who is orchestrating pain and struggle in our lives oftentimes, sometimes it's just life in this broken world, but other times it is orchestrated by the enemy to defeat us, to kill, steal, and destroy what belongs to God if we're his followers. What are some of these dark places? What are some of these struggles in our lives? I'm going to just give you a... It's, it's endless, almost. We could talk about the dark place of hopelessness. Settling into the lie that things in my life, the things in my life that are killing me in whatever way, physically, emotionally, mentally, will not, cannot ever change. That's hopelessness. That it's never going to change. It's just, it's just life. It's just how it is. 
These things that seem to always just hang over us and we see no hope of change. My job, my finances, my marriage, my kids. Life this is it's never going to change. The dark place of depression, the dark place of, of health or the pandemic that we're living through, the dark place of a crumbling culture, and those examples are too numerous for us to even begin to begin naming. Isaiah 5:20 tells us, "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter." That's the world we're living in. The dark place of broken relationships. What's your relationship like with your children? Is it broken? Marriages that are broken, friendships that are broken, communities that are broken, neighborhoods that are broken, church families that are broken. <sighs> it's it heavy. Dark places. The dark place of discontentment. You may have heard me say in the past, and I believe it's worth repeating, that social medias, generally speaking, have left a highway full of wreckage in their path. And I don't say that lightly. I mean absolutely serious emotional wreckage. May I encourage you, each of us, to just make certain that our usage of these various outlets is very guarded. It is faceless. Pray for wisdom as you utilize social media and it may admonish you to refrain as difficult even as it may be from engaging with people over divisive, hot issues through this, these faceless platforms. It's not a place for it. Eye to eye. Emotions, expressions. Good conversation. There's nothing wrong with having great conversations about these subjects, but not when it's just pulling the trigger and shutting down the screen. The dark place of global unrest and uncertainty. Fear. The dark place of fear. It's such an inhibitor to us living in the place that the Lord wants us to live. How many times does he say fear not in his word? I mean... And we could just rejection, the, the, the anxiety, the future, loneliness, the dark place of loneliness. Listen, we can live in full houses and live lonely, can't we? In talking about loneliness and fear, I'm in the, I picked up a copy, it's been a while now. I picked up a, a nice, I, I love books. I picked up a little copy of The Hobbit. It's just a little, hand, it's like, you know, it's like a little, it's like you see in these old English movies, you know, where they're holding these little books, you know, and I'm like, I want that to be me. So I bought one. And I've been <clears throat> reading The Hobbit. And I thought, wow, this is so fitting to be a, a dark place. Tolkien, uh, this is The Hobbit. And we find Bilbo Baggins, who, uh, if you're not familiar with the, the Hobbit, raise your hand. Oh, a couple of you. Okay, then I have to explain. <laughs> So The Hobbit, you know, I won't go into all this, but it's a story about Bilbo Baggins and his adventure that he's been coerced into taking. And uh, Hobbits don't like adventures, but he's on this one. And so he is heading, I'm going to really jump ahead. He is heading down. They are trying to get the, the dwarves are trying to get their treasures back that are in the mountain. 
And there's a dragon, Smog, who dwells in that lair with all the treasure. And Bilbo has the, the, uh, been given the task of being the smuggler, the burglar, who's going to go into where the dragon's lair and see what's going on. And here we go. They found the secret door into the, to the, from the mountainside going down, and Bilbo is lucky enough to be the one going down alone. And he begins by saying, this is Bilbo Baggins speaking, I have absolutely no use for dragon-guarded treasures. And the whole lot could stay here forever if only I could wake up and find this beastly tunnel was my own front hall at home. He did not wake up, of course, but went still on and on. Put yourself in Bilbo's shoes. Till all sign of the door behind had faded away. He was altogether alone. Soon he thought it was beginning to feel warm. Is that a kind of a glow I seem to see coming right ahead down there? He thought. It was. As he went forward, it grew and grew till there was no doubt about it. It was a red light steadily getting redder and redder. Also, it was now undoubtedly hot in the tunnel. Wisp of vapor floated up and passed him, and he began to sweat. Would you think of all this in the context of loneliness and fear? Real loneliness and fear in your life, possibly? That dark place? A sound, too, began to throb in his ears. A sort of bubbling like the noise of a large pot galloping on the fire, mixed with a rumble as of a gigantic tomcat purring. This grew to the unmistakable gurgling noise of some vast animal snoring in its sleep down there in the red glow in front of him. Sounds like life sometimes, doesn't it? Fear, loneliness. It was at this point that Bilbo stopped. Going on from there, listen, was the bravest thing he ever did. The tremendous things that happened afterwards were as nothing compared to it. And listen to this. He fought the real battle in the tunnel alone before he ever saw the vast danger that lay in wait. You and I need to fight the battle alone in that tunnel to press forward. And I want to give us some things that I think that will help us fight that battle of this dark place. Jesus' real battle was fought in the garden alone. And here in our passage this morning, prior to that, that garden battle, we find a, a foreglimpse. It says, knowing that his hour had come. Undoubtedly, this came with the knowledge of what he was about to experience at the hands and will of man. He was in a very unique way going to experience his own personal pandemic as the entire world's sickness of sin was about to be laid upon his shoulders. In fact, Paul goes a step further and says that he became sin. Can you comprehend that at all? <laughs> he became sin. Didn't just take it upon himself, but it became his being as he died. However, even in the shadow of this reality, 
that he was about to experience. This death, this suffering, this aloneness, Christ possessed a deeper knowledge. So powerful. I cannot overemphasize the significance and importance of you and me being aware of our, our present tense lives, this deeper knowledge that we need to live with, that we need to put our arms around. And Isaiah 5.13 says, Therefore my people go into exile. Why? For their lack of knowledge. C.S. Lewis brilliantly illustrates a deeper knowledge for us in his Chronicles of Narnia work. Aslan, if you are familiar, you want to ask you that. And they may not know the Chronicles of Narnia. No. Aslan is a type of Christ. Aslan is, 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 is Lewis's Jesus. Edmund, the traitor child, is you and me. Edmund has become a traitor to Aslan and gone over to the, the White Witch, who is the current ruler of Narnia. And Edmund escapes her and, backs, and comes back to his brothers and, his brother and sisters in the camp where Aslan is, only to have the White Witch come after him because he belongs to me. And she reminds Aslan of the, the deep magic that declared that a traitor became the rightful property of the one to which he turned in his or her rebellion. And Aslan walks off with the white witch and talks and returns with the news that Edmund is free from her claim. And the children are puzzled, like, what? What did you do? What, 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 what happened? To which Aslan replies, it means, said Aslan, and listen very closely, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery, Jesus, was killed in a traitor's stead, and me. The table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Though I typically shy away from statements like we like never before, I will say in light of a number of prophetic words and prophecies that have been realized in our day that we like never before need to become very tightly anchored to the knowledge of God and his word. However, the deeper knowledge that I want us to begin to understand and own, to put into our life's backpack so that we can get to it fast and reference life's struggles against it, is the deeper knowledge that we find Christ possessing and that he's referring to. When it says he knew. In verse 3 of John 13, it says, Jesus knowing this deeper knowledge that he had come from God. The deeper knowledge of our past. He knew his past. You and I know your past. I know my past. You know your past. Listen, every circumstance, this just occurred to me recently, it's like nothing profound, but think about it. Every 
circumstance, every event, every moment in our lives immediately becomes, in a very real sense, a part of our past. Because time keeps marching on. That what, I, what I just said to you is now in the past. And while we cannot change the past, this is great, we do have the privilege in Christ because He has our past, He has our present, He has our futures, we're going to see, to effectively change the impact that circumstance or event will have on my present. You get it? In Christ, the past cannot hold me back because of what Christ has done. We're talking about redeeming moments, people. Redeeming moments. In Christ, forge past them. Press on, as Paul would say, to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. Deeper knowledge of the dark place in our lives. Past. It's past. It's past. What about a knowledge of the future? My future. Look at verse 3 again. Jesus knowing not only where he'd come from, but that he was going back to God. Future. He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus had a deeper knowledge of his future. In the, in the present tense, he knew what was behind, he knew where he'd come from, and he knew where he was going. It's very important for you and I. We'll talk more about it in a minute. And then thirdly, my present. It's where we live, isn't it? Our present. This is so amazing. In John, verse 3, it's all in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things, implied right now, into his hands. <laughs> it gets sweet. Because it's still true. It's true in your life and it's true in my life. We live in a world of extraordinary fear, anxiety, emotional exhaustion, confusion. In this world, Jesus offers you and me in the present tense right now peace and rest and joy and freedom. Abundant life. Not later. It's not, it's not waiting until we get to heaven, you know. It's not that. It's now. And it's incredibly... Life transforming when we, when we operate in the moment with knowing that Christ, it's in His hands. When you and I live life, everyday life with all its ups and all its downs, its twists and turns, its hurts and hazards, fear-inducing circumstances and mountaintop moments with an awareness of the deeper knowledge of where God has brought me from, past, where his, my destiny lies in Christ in the future and exactly who holds me and provides for me and protects me and gives grace in time of need to me in the now life, this moment, present. Listen, it leads me to experience a third thing this morning. That's a durable faith. A durable faith, a God-sized trust and a God-sized confidence that I don't care if I've been turned down four times. I don't care. I'll keep doing bathrooms and painting houses and loving on people. I don't care. 
Philemon 1.6 says to those, says, then I pray that the fellowship, we're talking about a durable faith. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge, here we go, of every good thing which is in you now, not sometime later, now, for Christ's sake. It's so easy to, to it's, it's so easy to lose strength of faith when we become horizontal in our worldview. And we just start looking here on this plane. To focus on the things and events and actions and ideas and words and pictures of a ridiculously deafening and loud and often obnoxious world. We begin to falter in our strength of belief that God is God. That Christ is Lord of my life. The true followers of Jesus Christ, get this, we have His mind. We have the mind of Christ. It's not going to one day. It's kind of have. We have now, today, the mind of Christ. We can think like Him. Not because we're somebody, but because His Holy Spirit is somebody who lives in us and helps us think correctly. How many times have you known what you weren't supposed to do and you did it anyway? The mind of Christ. I did that just two days ago, and I'm paying for it. Ah, you love the Holy Spirit. As I've said before, he's the best, worst thing that ever happens to you. So easy to lose our faith in the midst of all this. And not forgetting again that God is God, Christ is Lord. That we have the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit of Jesus is within me. Is within us to comfort and teach and remind and guide us through dark places. This is marginal, but I'm sharing it anyway. Okay, I only have one shot. (laughs) Fire me. Fifth time. Do you realize that Christ is our Lord? Our Lord? And is the Lord of his kingdom? But he is not Lord over this world presently? It really helps to understand this in light of the encroaching darkness. You see, mankind, I'm going to go some places that I don't have. Mankind gave uh, the God-ordained privilege of being in dominion over this world as we were originally created to Satan at the fall. Handed in the keys to the kingdom. Here's the world. You rule it because we are not going, we gave it over. It's a legal transaction, which is why Jesus doesn't steal anything. He had to pay a price. He bought it back. Wonderful. It's been his ever since the fall, the enemy, Satan. But not forever. There is a deeper knowledge. That is the great piece of the deeper knowledge that Jesus knew and that we know too now. I want to just share with you from very, very, very quickly from Daniel. This is just so amazing. Daniel chapter 7. We're talking about wrapping things up at the end of time, people. And then Revelation, I think, uh, 11. Oh, yeah. There we go. Just so you understand what's going to happen. Um, and again, we can have differing agree, uh, opinions on you know, when Christ is going to come back as it relates to the tribulation and all. We won't talk about that right now, although it's very clear. <clears throat> <laughs> As you'll see in just a second. That's not why I'm reading this. I'm reading this because of the beauty of who Jesus is and the future that we have. 
uh, Daniel's like, I don't get this, I don't understand. Um, and um, he says, I kept looking, this is in verse 21, if you happen to be in Daniel chapter 7, I kept looking in that horn, which is the Antichrist that's speaking of here, was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. And listen to this. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. <laughs> this is talking of down to verse 25. It's kind of re-saying it again. He, the Antichrist, will speak out against the Most High. And will wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But then listen to this. This is the end of the story that we get to be a part of because of who Jesus is. But the court will sit for judgment. And it's talking of the Antichrist here. And his dominion will be taken away. <laughs> Annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the world, under, under the whole heaven, will be given, and I can't believe this, to the people of the saints of the highest one. What? What? That ought to be Jesus. It ought to be given over to Him. While He is going to rule and reign and be the ultimate rule and reign one, He's giving it to you and me. <laughs> His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey Him. When the seventh trumpet in, Daniel, in Revelation blows, it says, when the seventh angel sounded, seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, are you ready for this? This is like at the end of the tribulation, man. This is when it's all wrapping down. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, get this, and we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. You see, he's not been reigning, but he is going to begin to reign when that seventh trumpet sounds. And the nations were enraged, and that's our future. Take strength in the knowledge of your past, present, and your future in Jesus Christ in this day now, in the present. Which leads into Christ's example for us in the present tense life. And this is almost like, really? This is not the thought. It, the fourth point this morning is that we need to be about a devoted service. It's like, okay, wow. We need to become selfless servers. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father, this is back in John 13, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, present, and that He had come forth from God, past, and was going back to God, future, got up from the supper. There's no break here. He got up from the supper. It's like He's just contemplating these thoughts of past, present, and future. All things have been given into my hands. He gets up from the supper, lays aside His garments, takes a towel, girds Himself, pours water into a basin, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. There's something to this service thing. We need to grasp it because it's coming in the context of a very big truth. Because, listen, service is a very big truth. 
Spurgeon said that, Charles Spurgeon said, inactivity leads to doubt and fear. Just think on that for a while. Inactivity leads to doubt and fear. You see, service is going to cost us time, money, emotions, missed events, inconvenience. I tell you what, yesterday, I'm just going to tell on myself, because I'm good at that. Yesterday, I'm driving home from a job that I was working on, and um, I've been thinking about this particular woman for many, in a good way. <laughs> My wife's in Hilton Head. Look out. No, I'm teasing. That's terrible. So I drive past this, this woman's house, and I'll call her um, Sarah. That's not her name. Her husband died, second husband died two, three, four months ago. And I've known this person for years. I used to work with her, sweet girl, sister in Christ. And I'd drive by her house and I'd see a lamp on and her sitting in the chair reading. And my heart would just break for her. I'd talked to her just a month before, just on her porch talking to her. And it's been on my heart to say to Sarah, Sarah, if you need anything, something breaks, just let me know. She's living alone again for a second time, a widow. And I'm driving by um, where her mother lives, and I see her pull into the driveway there, and I'm driving past it, and I'm thinking, nothing's behind me. I go back, and I pull down in there, and she's, no, oh, ha. And I said, Sarah, and I'm not, this is not, believe me, this is not going to be a back, you'll find it, I mean, not a pat on the back. God's just, God's good, and he wants to use us. That's it. And he put that on my heart. He put that on my heart. I didn't, believe me, I didn't come up with that one because I wouldn't have wanted to do it, and I'll tell you why. I said, Sarah, if you need anything, I said, I'm sorry to hear. I said, I, it's crazy. And I said, I see you sitting there in your home there, and I, just my heart breaks for you. It touched her heart. I said, if anything breaks, just let me know. I'd be glad to fix it for you. And it touched her heart. And um, she said, I appreciate knowing somebody cares. I got in the car and left. And as I'm driving down the road, I'm just being very real with you. I said, I hope she doesn't call me. I'm just being real. I hope she doesn't call me. Because I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to have to go fix her, fix something. Pretty sad, isn't it? Pretty pathetic. But it's real. We've got to be honest with God about it. If she calls me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to her house and fix it. That's just what, it, it's some, Bowen and I were having a conversation my son today. He said, Dad, I said I have an idea about benevolence. I said, I think it, in order to really be benevolence, it's got to cost us something. I said, Bowen, I think you're onto something there. David said, I will not give to wor- in worship to God something that didn't cost me something as he bought the threshing floor. So yeah, it's going to inconvenience us to serve people. That's what selflessness is about. It's like I'm looking past what it's going to cost me because I'm going to help people. I cannot stress enough, and as I wrap this up, the importance of, of, of devoted service. We must stand in defiance of allowing acts of service, real dirty hands, stained emotions, compassionate, broken-hearted service to remain in this cerebral cavity of ideas and good intentions. This is a, a powerful, Christ-commanded, abundant life truth that we dare not simply give mental assent to without it truly ever, never making it to our hands and our feet and our mouths and our ears as we just listen to people sometimes. 
But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Would you listen to that again? But thanks be to God. In fact, would you read this with me? I hope you got the same translation. I put it up there, I think. Let's read this together. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Not just here. While I'm driving down the road, I still have driving problems. It's not me, it's other people. I still have problems. Yesterday, oh golly, go already. There's not a stop sign for you. And God just immediately goes, patience, patience. And I'm going to just, this is another one that's like, I'm not sure. Wow, that's okay. No, it's there. We talk about hanging on a tree this morning, singing about the song, about a man hanging on a tree. I'll try not to rush, but I, I don't want to encroach upon too much of your time. The fruit of the Spirit was hanging on the tree at Golgotha. I'm not even going to work through this. You think about it. Love. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control was hanging on that cross in the person of Jesus. And I'm not sure why I'm going to share this, but it was here. And I'm like, man, I didn't really, God, what's that? And it was something that I'd put in there months ago. The aroma of forgiveness. I don't know, maybe somebody here that needs to deal with forgiveness right now. Choose now, if that's you, whatever, maybe more than one of us, to forgive anyone and all of offenses done that have caused bitterness and resentment or, and brokenness in your heart and in your relationship with other people. In some cases, you may need to go to someone and confess your heart that resulted in shunning or avoiding resentment and brokenness in your heart and in your relationship with that person. To continue where you are is to fall in with the schemes of the enemy and not demonstrate and live in the, with the mind of Christ. And the result is going to be a failure to demonstrate to the watching world, to that person maybe even, the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that they so desperately need to see and come to realize through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There you have that. Dark place, people. We're living in it. If you're not living in one now, you will. Live in it with a deeper knowledge of your past that has been redeemed. Your present that is empowered now with Jesus and your future that is in His hands. And live with a durable faith. Have it strengthened through these things and be a devoted servant of Jesus Christ. And now, as I wrote in my notes, go knowing. Would you pray? so kind to me. I thank you and I love you. I love your word. God, do what you do best that we can't do. And we give this to you this morning, God, as a, as a gift. And I ask you to use it in the lives of my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.